Are you tired of aging like a wilting flower? Introducing Dr. Ernest Minville's Revolutionary Rejuvenation Clinic. If you want to look eternally timeless, then Dr. Minville is your go-to guy. With the expertise of our renowned partner, Liesel von Ruhmann will have you be the envy of your friends eternally. Act now and we'll throw in a free immortal... Act now and we'll throw in a free immortal elixir lip plumper. Call 1-800-ETERNITY for a consultation. Dr. Minville's Clinic, where beauty meets immortality. Hello, hello, welcome to the Spectre Cinema Club, a horror podcast obsessed with all the subgenres within. I am your host, Devon Taylor. Join with me. I got Gary McDowell. Hello, hello. Happy to be here in person for the first time in a few moons. So Yeah, it's been good, a, to, good to be across the desk. Uh, it's been a few moons, and then, you know, these uh, next couple episodes might be the last ones for a little bit. Me and me and Garrett, we're on the move. Finding we're, a new we're spot. Around. But we'll find out, though, because if we both end up in East Hollywood, then then that'll be much easier. We so. could be neighbors, well, practically, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so. you and I are taking our knapsacks. We got our sticks and our little, uh, <laughs> our little bags, and we're hitting the road, so uh, hopefully... Hopefully that won't, you know, shift up things too much. Hopefully we'll be nice and close. So uh, we got to make this wonderful content happen for you guys. Yeah, very excited. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, the vibes, they go either way. It's just I always do like being in person. For it sure. Always, uh, it, I feel like it helps the flow. I feel like that's when uh, we're at the best. It also makes it the, the easiest editing <laughs> for me, of course. The, the past few weeks you've just texted me and you're like, I want to die right oh now. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, technology issues happen. And sometimes it, uh, you know, because uh, sound is not my, like, main bag or anything. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm very passable with the, the editing on yeah. this. So. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I like when it's a little bit easier for me, um, which uh, we don't always get to have the, uh, that easiness uh, because typically it's when where you have guests where we do it via Zoom, but we get to have a guest here in person. Uh, I love. Uh, we've only gotten to do that a couple times when it's yeah. been me and you. The locals, to, the local friends. Uh, yeah, the, the locals, you know, because it's funny because even in L.A., we've had other guests that do live in L.A., but just because of like other circumstances, sure. like we don't get to have them on. Um, so, so I'm super excited that uh, one of my uh, dear friends joining us, uh, she is a cosplay artist that you can find on TikTok and Instagram, and also my D&D boyfriend. Welcome to the show, Mo Grotha. What up? Thank you for having me. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, look yes, at that. Look yes. at that. We've got a fan on the show. I've been dying to get on the show. <laughs> I have no qualifications. I just love horror. No, I know you that's, do. That's all you need. That's the qualification. Well, you love horror, and you're also one of uh, one of the few friends that actually listens, and I appreciate that for for uh, for that. Everyone else, go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, you know, well, because what's always funny, and I mean, I feel like everybody with podcasts can kind of relate to this because, like, you know, it's mainly a digital platform oh, and for stuff, sure. and like yeah. you don't know your audience a bunch, and and there'll be times where it's like, yeah, people know I have a podcast, and then but then once they listen to an episode, they'll hit 
they'll hit you with the, oh, hey, so I actually listened to your podcast. <laughs> so it's like, oh, so how many times have you lied to me? Exactly. <laughs> no exactly. way. I'm a day one. I've been since it was bloody blunts. Ooh, back in the day. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Even pre me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Man. Pre, pre Garrett. She's about to take over the pod. Uh, I, I didn't get to text you. I remember I meant to text you like a few weeks ago was after we did the Texas Chainsaw and Mo uh, texted me getting defensive of you because, you know, Trayson is being a spicy boy. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know. I, I, I need somebody in my corner like a boxing match. I was fighting for my life for that one between I, the two of you guys, too. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, and that's just Trace. Uh, I love Trace for his spiciness, oh, but it was sure. super funny that uh, Mo was just like, it was like, I don't like the way that he told Garrett to fuck off. I was like, <laughs> I was like Garrett had some good ideas. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's it's payback for what Billy Ray did to you back at the Halloween oh episode God. where we were just all, like, like Michael Myers, we were just kicking the shit <laughs> out you of you. You guys bullied me so hard that episode. That was that, that was definitely, I think, the most flustered I've ever been on. Yes. So you guys yes. were all just in there. Yes. Ah. Uh, thankfully, I don't think we have any need for that because uh, I, I think that we all really like to love the movie that we're talking about today. So nothing but good vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are continuing on week two of our celebration of camp. And uh, this was uh, actually kind of the movie that made me think about wanting to do this. Because uh, yeah. I did have a different Pride Month movie I was going to do. I was going to pick Braid, but we'll we'll slide that into another mm-hmm. into another uh, month at some point. So this was kind of what inspired me on like kind of what I think of whenever or what I thought of when I was thinking of like camp horror mm-hmm. and oh. kind of the way that's used yeah. uh, not only to enhance the horror, but then also uh, the performances and many other things in death becomes here. So I'm very uh, excited to get into that. So without further ado, Death Becomes Her, released July 31st, 1992, directed by Robert Zemeckis, known for, uh, you know, the Back to the Future trilogy, Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbits, you know, some little indie flicks. Yeah, the guy who is formerly known as uh, making good movies in Hollywood, the guy has been uh, 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 radio silent for a few years. Uh, Welcome to Marwin isn't bringing it home, is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I watched uh, I watched the, the tight walk one and yeah. I think that was the last Zemeckis movie I watched and that was like again him trying to recapture the the big spectacle and like really that kind of just was the movie itself I don't yeah. think anybody has watched that movie at home no so you know but uh Robert Zemeckis uh you know he's a big name very talented I I, I mean I uh you know love him because he uh is one of the uh people behind Dark Castle Oh, yeah. So, you know, so we do have uh, him to thank for for the early 2000s run of oh, yeah. House on Haunted Hill, 13 Ghosts and things like that. He's so. made like several of my all time favorite movies. So, uh, uh, you know, nothing to sneeze at. But I, I think if anything, I will say I just I, I miss him. You know, like I miss <laughs> Robert Zemeckis and his movies like in earnest, not just like whatever he's been making for the past few years. It's just it's uh, it's just, you know, kind of bittersweet, I suppose. But. Yeah, this was uh, this was written by Martin Donovan and David Kep. Uh, again, a very feminine movie written by a bunch of dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you know we'll get into we'll get into that. Um, and then the cinematography done by Dean Cundey, uh, known for his works with John Carpenter, such as Halloween's One and Two and The Thing, as well as Jurassic Park and a bunch of other things as well. Very decorated uh, behind the camera, as well as the score done by Alan Silvestri. Um, this was edited by Arthur Schmidt. Box office wise, I mean, it did decent. It did a uh, one forty nine million on a fifty five million dollar budget. So uh, that's, I mean, with the 
that's basically uh breaking even because it's like you want to like double your budget backing and get the yeah. the marketing and stuff like that so i mean it's you know a, a decent success uh at least for what it is um mo can you guess what uh the rotten tomato score is for this movie i'm gonna guess 87 which i think is too low but i feel like people who don't get it would be like i'm mad about this movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well as with a lot of 80s 90s and 70s films uh the rotten tomato scores are a little bit skewed because uh they are not reviewed as heavily um 55 <gasps> percent on, on on fifty five reviews, <laughs> I was a, like, a, a "War crime! This is this is obscene." I'm really, which mad. I find super odd because, again, with like the Rotten Tomato scores of like older films, these are still like more current, you know, critics. Yeah, people who them. like do like a retrospective yeah. or something like so, that. Yeah, so so that's why I'm confused on like why critics aren't appreciating it more even now than they would have back in the nineties. Uh, so I found that very, very surprising. Insanity. Yeah. And then uh, the letterbox average, uh, Voice of People, they got it uh, right. You know, 3.6 out of 5. Uh, very solid, respectable mm. 7 out of 10. You know, mm. so, so you know, it's it's getting there. But um, it, it's definitely, um, you know, I don't see it. it it's like I, I don't see it talked about a ton. But then as soon as it's like mentioned, people like come out of the woodwork and yeah. like really love this thing. Yeah. yeah. And you start to realize how many reference there references there are to it like in the world and in media since mm-hmm. the movie yeah you're like oh that's where that came from yeah this is a movie that i also feel like because uh, we'll get to it this is my first time watching this and i have just known of the movie for a long time and i think that i especially since moving out here in la i see this movie in kind of that circuit of movies that are played at like drive-ins like with like mm. back to the future jaws the sandlot i feel like this gets thrown into the mix but i've never actually seen it and then now having seen it i'm like oh yeah i want to see this like in the summertime and i'm out like on a blanket like with friends or like in halloween season or something like that like this is absolutely going to be joining my rotation every year yeah, I mean, speaking of drive-ins, me and me and Mo got to see this over the summer in uh, the the uh, famous Hollywood Forever Cemetery. They do their screens and people people dress up. Uh, I mean, not as much uh, uh, whenever we went to this one. Mm-mm. There wasn't. It was I mean, hot. It was hot, and there's also, I mean, I guess, like, not very iconic looks besides red dresses. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I saw a few people dressed up as uh, Liselle, but, mm. but... I saw someone with, like, the hole in their stomach. It was a mirror. Oh, yes, I do it remember cool. that. Yes. That's clever. That, yeah, clever. that was super clever. So, yeah, so not as many costumes at this one, but it was, uh, people turned out for it. It was, like, super fun. That and uh, awesome. And uh, have you went to any of those screenings yet, Garrett? I've done some outdoor ones out here, just not that one specifically. So, I, I really would like to, especially I know that they do them more often in, in Halloween time. I think mm-hmm. they did the thing last year, which is also yeah, like, a very like good uh, one. through summer, summer through the fall is yeah. like the the prime time for the screens. We'll, so we'll, we'll definitely try to make it happen as, oh, as yeah. a group. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna round up the troops. It's super fun. They do for like sure. uh, photo shoots and like stuff like that. And there's always uh, celebrities creeping around and Hell stuff. Yeah. So it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a it's a good time. It's Let's a, do it. It's a fun vibe. I'll gorgeous. Bring, I'll bring snacks. Yeah, yeah. gorgeous <laughs> cemetery too. Uh, really gorgeous cemetery. And um, so, Mo, um, before that time, had you had seen this film before I, that? I had seen it a long time ago, um, probably in 
early 2000s, 2001. Um, it was just on on demand. And when I would get home from school, I would like pop on whatever was on. I guess it was like later 2000s. Um, and I put it on one day and I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. And at that point, I didn't have a very strong stomach. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't handle like all the skin peeling. So I oh, turned it off. Interesting. Um, but now I could handle it. And seeing it at the cemetery with Devon was so fun. <laughs> and I am like much more comfortable with my sexuality now. So I represent like I recognize how much it represents to the queer community. Mm-hmm. And that just makes it all the more fun that was something that i noticed too and you had mentioned it as well as like once you kind of come out and talk about this movie the people who love it who people who like the movie love it and i had tweeted about this and people were coming out of the woodwork saying that this was like key in like them kind of discovering themselves and discovering their own sexuality even though this movie isn't necessarily a like the plot isn't about gay characters I think that the the kind of position that this movie has in queer cinema, I think is interesting specifically because it's like, I think this is like the epitome of camp. Like this is like, I think this should be in the, like the fucking dictionary, like next to the, you know, to the definition of camp. Like this is, this is what it is. You know, like we talked about how it's such a, a hard thing to define. I think you just press play on this and they're like, there you go. It's on screen. Agreed. Yeah. It it definitely like uh, covers a lot of the camp bases that we, discussed previously whether it be through the performances or just like the idea and presentation of it all uh again this is like a very big lavish film with like you know the like Ernest's mansion is just like insane just yeah. like is ridiculous and then Liselle's uh like little hideaway as well mm-hmm. uh so it's just like I mean between that between all the different uh you know elaborate costumes uh, again you know so we're kind of starting to see the the repeating like motifs that we kind of um you know things that are represented through camp. And uh, I think my first time watching this was only a few years ago or so. Um, it just, uh, I was just like, cause I, I think I was shocked. That I was just like, Oh, Meryl Streep has like been in like some, like, like in like the like eighties, nineties, she was doing like random genre films here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, she had done like one called like she devil, like a few mm-hmm. years before this, that um, I, that by the looks of it, like kind of seems to have a similar tone to this. Um, it, you know, so I was like just very shocked that I was like, oh, Meryl Streep doing some genre stuff. I definitely need to check this out. And then, um, I was just, uh, yeah, blown away by the, by the camp of it all. Like it just, the, the tone is so dialed in like so perfectly, especially with the dialogue is everything like this thing hums, you know, like oh, yeah. the way that people, uh, deliver all their lines uh, between, uh, Meryl Goldie Hawn and Bruce Willis doing a performance that he just never gets to do oh, and yeah. I I so wish he did more just like <laughs> stuff like this like you know uh, it, it was such perfect timing with like where he was at in his career and then him playing just like the ultimate emasculated man mm-hmm. in this movie is just like he, he is like like I mean it, people talk about like obviously like it's you know Meryl and Goldie like you know we come mm-hmm. to it for them we worship them but like Bruce is kind of bringing the most camp out of the three of them. Yes. Yeah. And uh and so like I I would really love seeing that side of him and uh the this movie is just it's super funny. Um and the the body horror angle to it is uh super fun and interesting and uh you know kind of playing on some similar classic stories that we've uh, seen through uh you know this doesn't have a it, it's interesting cuz it's like it's body horror and it's like kind of dealing with uh you know uh you know we'll get into subgenres I guess right now while we're already on the subject is because I was like, I put zombie question mark whenever I was writing uh, yeah. the, the subgenres down because uh, when we get into like the more details of the elixir, it's like they are living dead now, but yeah. they didn't die. 
I guess, or the elixir did kill them, and then now it's like, but their body is, body is physically dead. Um, so I was like, do they count as zombies? I mean, I guess kind of. It's They're interesting immortal. because they do die in the movie. Mm-hmm. The doctor is like, she's dead. Like her heart has stopped. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's just kind of this magic potion that's keeping them alive. So they are kind of like this reanimated sort of uh, like, like kind of hollow person in a way that's like uh, like all of their insides are broken and rotted and everything and it's just they're just kind of being pushed along by magic and good vibes <laughs> so i don't know i guess i don't know i would say that they are zombies but if somebody said that they're not and eh, that's fine you know? yeah i'd say once they did die like whenever madeline fell down the stairs oh no spoilers yet Oh, that's oh uh, yeah, spoilers the whole thing. Okay. If you've not seen it, maybe don't listen to like a 90-minute episode. Okay, word. <laughs> so when Madeline fell down the stairs, that would have killed her. And then oh, yeah. whenever Helen got the gunshot, that would have killed her. And we don't know if their hearts had stopped before those incidents. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it, it's implied that the elixir itself is like, I guess, like it rejuvenates them first and then kills them, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm. And then so that way their body is preserved technically um in this like state so it's like it's a because i guess uh you know a lot of zombie movies they go into like a science leaning realm in some sort usually especially nowadays Um, with like the whole like infected sort of yeah situation yeah we 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 don't have zombies by magic really yeah um you know which is actually how they originated if you look at like the the origins of zombies like in literature or anything like watch white zombie and it's about like witchcraft and voodoo and everything it's not like how it is now to where you get bitten and you you're infected or whatever the walking dead wants to call you that's not zombie walkers or you know uh, <laughs> bitten or whatever you know term uh, any like kind of modern movies want to call but yeah it does have like a more of a mystical sort of origin to it yeah and so so yeah so it puts in a in a very unique uh, corner of uh, of the zombie canon i guess uh, and then you know so that that plays into the body horror and of course the camp and then uh this is a you know very uh true like a uh, horror comedy i wouldn't say dark comedy because like i mean the jokes aren't very macabre but it is just like kind of like still it's like a more whimsical yeah. uh, horror comedy i suppose i don't know how else i would describe that yeah um yeah i think that there definitely is some dark elements to it especially with like the like the neck protruding like the the broken neck and like the doctor getting all squeamish and there's a hole in her stomach and all of these things like the idea that they're like rotting from the inside but they're just like clinging on to life i think that there's definitely like horror imagery in the movie and they kind of make fun out of that yeah uh, yeah dark comedy i don't know if I would count it as that because the tone isn't very dark. It is very playful Mm -hmm. and whimsical. So I think the content would maybe fit into that, but its execution seems to have a bit more fun to it, you know? Yeah, I agree. It uses the elements of horror that we know and then turns it comical. So we're laughing and we get that release and not too squeamed out at everything horrible that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I mean, even though we do still have like two characters that are very much trying to kill each other, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like that that still, you know, you have murder here. And so it's like there is still dark subject, but yeah, it doesn't quite go into it. And then and then there's also like because, you know, there is, I mean, I guess a somewhat uh, scientific angle, I guess a more medical angle since Ernest is a former plastic surgeon and he um, is like a, a you know, um 
helps prepare bodies is kind of what he ends up doing later in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th- so it's medical in that way. But then there's also like out of nowhere, Ernest gets like super religious uh, in the in the back end of the movie where yeah. he's just like talking about like, oh, this goes against, you know, the nature of God and all these things. So it's like they kind of, I guess, like try to they they throw it. They, they try to explain it with everything. So that way it like you can't really question it because like, sure. yeah, there's there's magic that's not really explained. There is some science here, but not really. There is some religion, but not really. So it's like they just kind of throw in. They're just like, here, we'll just throw it all out there. And then, you know, you can't really question it because it's technically there, but also we don't care. Which is, I think, is a way to describe sort of the the subgenres in this movie. It really is just sense of just like, just throw it all in because this is like a body horror horror comedy but on top of that it's also like a noir film and then on top of that it's also like a 1940s screwball comedy like and it's just so it shouldn't work on paper maybe for some critics it didn't work but I think it's just such a fun sort of attitude that this movie takes that it just really seems to have this sort of like playful leaning of like just throw it in the mix in the kitchen sink too uh but it never felt like overstuffed or too much Mm -hmm. or like that it jumped the shark it just maybe it's because it's so early on embraces this level of camp the movie starts off with a musical number uh and so i think it like from the jump it seems to be embracing these kind of ideas it's not like it goes off the rails at any point i feel like at every scene it's really dialed in to its tone like it never takes itself too seriously something i loved about this is just just like everything is pitch perfect oh it's masterful yeah, yeah. i mean starting your movie off with a uh, musical number instantly puts you in the queer category <laughs> yeah. because yes! it's very interesting because like i mean you know we'll get into the relationships in it but it's like the movie itself like the the kind of subject at least for me isn't super queer but so much of the elements and presentation and sure. the camp of it all is like kind of played in a way that still makes it feel queer and for mm-hmm. all of us in 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 a way that's too like also like not poking fun either it's like using this uh this uh, aesthetic and uh this tone to to really just like kind of amplify uh what they're doing was there any subgenres that stuck out to you mo besides uh the ones that we just listed from this movie mm-hmm. um i am a sucker for like a haunted doll moment and i think that this has glimmers of that because they are inhabiting mm. these bodies that no longer really belong to them mm. and they're slowly chipping away and peeling and uh Ernest is left with the upkeep um so it gives me that and it's like the, they are, they're also haunting each other because they won't let each other go they're so obsessed with each other yeah um so that's one i really thought of but um other than that no it's definitely horror comedy to its yeah. core to me i love that analogy too of the they being these like deteriorating like marionette dolls that need this toy maker to like yes. make them you know mm-hmm. uh, pretty and beautiful and you know i love that they are just kind of withering away by the end of this movie and they're just like trying their best and like they don't know what Ugh. they're doing and they're just like sticking their skin oh, towards their, their face and they're like just gobs of makeup it's it's the best it's oh so yeah good. spray paint yeah that's so that's so interesting yeah i didn't even really think about that but they are kind of <laughs> little like little zombie barbies yeah uh, uh walking around and, and <laughs> I, I i can i can only hope that this is a similar uh camp tone that we're gonna get from Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Oh, man. oh. I feel like uh, it, it, it makes sense. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. This would be a great double feature, hopefully. This would be a great this would be a great double feature. That is uh that's so <laughs> fun. Uh yeah, so so yeah, I definitely I'm I'm down on the on the haunted doll canon. 
Um, but uh, before we go forward, let's go ahead and give our uh, 60 second synopsis in case anybody hasn't <laughs> seen this in a hot minute. Um, Mo, are you ready? I think I am ready. Alrighty, I got you on the clock here in three, two, one. So, longtime frenemies Helen and Madeline reunite at Madeline's Broadway musical that's actually failing, where Helen introduces her new plastic surgeon fiancé, Ernest. Ernest is taken by Madeline and leaves Helen for Madeline almost immediately, leaving Helen distraught and sending her spiraling. Her life's a mess, and seven years later, in Beverly Hills, Helen invites the unhappily married Madeline and Ernest to her book debut, where she debuts a hot young body, which sends Madeline spiraling. Desperate for the next thing to return her youthful glow, she makes a deal with a stunningly beautiful Liesel, who promises eternal youth via mysterious potion. Madeline drinks it, but it turns out Helen has taken the potion as well, and the two undead beauties soon learn that eternal beauty has its consequences as they vie for the attentions of Ernest, who's caught in the middle as he is tasked with keeping the women together. Boom. That was so concise with an extra 13 seconds to spare. It's got to be like one of the longest 60 second synopsises that we've had as far as like word count, though. Like there was a lot packed that's, in there. That's that, <laughs> that's well that, done. That's Thank that you. D&D, uh, that, that uh, dungeon, dungeon Keeper life kicking in there for you. <laughs> You're getting in all the backstory, you know, what the, the important bits to hit are. Yeah. You know? it's, it's also a difficult movie in trying to like just explain what the plot is because there is so much backstory and there feels like there's two movies that could have happened before this one even starts and it kind of just throws you into this and I love the reveal that uh, Helen is like ready to take that plunge but there's like one final thing and Mm -hmm. it's like oh by the way this has happened before but it's happened with like three or four other guys and like it really just sort of just opens up the story and just kind of catches you up to speed in it which I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah, there's definitely this like implied history between them that that comes in and like sprinkles its way throughout because you because, yeah, you you don't really know. But then like as you go throughout the film, you're like, oh, they've known each other like their entire lives. And uh, it makes you kind of question this uh, this relationship in general, because like they are just like these like frenemies that uh, can't not be friends with each other mm-hmm. yeah. they need you, each other like they like they like it, because it's so funny it's just like if you don't like somebody then just like don't talk or hang out with them or anything like you don't have to like but yeah. something you know yeah. seems to kind of keep uh them kind of coming in and i'm intrigued to see between the the two of you i know some people do kind of have a queer reading of them and and for me personally it i mean i feel like even they're like platonic like like platonic dependence on each other still feels kind of queer in a way even if there is no like sexual tension amongst them Mm -hmm. um because like that that's one thing uh this movie is kind of missing a smidge of is uh because i want to put this in the erotic thrillers canon but Mm. this movie's not very sexy nobody's fucking in this movie Mm -mm. um and nobody seems to want to fuck either which is fine (laughs) yeah um but so so i don't put it in like the erotic canon and so with their relationship like there is this like you know need for each other uh, in this, like, kind of again, like platonic life partnery way, even if it's not in yeah. a sexual way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with these two characters, like, Madeline loves to one up Helen. And if Helen is removed from that, like, who is she able to one up? And, like, Helen 
wants to like stick it to Madeline and show that like, no, I can be happy and I found the right guy. So there does to see this seem to be this kind of like codependency happening between the two of them of just trying to outwit the other one and trying to just best one another. So I, it's like my kind of headcanon that I like to think that they were probably like doing this when they were kids, like in grade school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was the cute boy in class and they were doing the same thing back then. I love to think that this is just a relationship that has, you know, just endured over the years, even since like, you know, uh, kindergarten or something. Yeah. And it's not till the end where you find out that like, Helen grew up much wealthier, it sounds mm-hmm. like, than Madeline. And she, you know, you, Madeline refers to herself as trash in comparison to, to Helen. Yeah. And I think that that's probably what happened is that she had this insecurity and then was like, okay, well, I'm going to take your man. Mm-hmm. And then Helen was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing. And they were just constantly yeah. realizing that they were irrelevant to themselves without mm-hmm. the other person there. Helen yeah. could have gone gone and married Ernest and we would have never had this whole <laughs> movie. But yeah. good, thing she, good thing she had that insecurity. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because, yeah, it isn't revealed until, like, later on because the whole time we've kind of been shown that Madeline's, like, you know, she was the actress, she's, mm-hmm. like, been in movies, she's, uh, you know, kind of has the, the more lavish lifestyle, so, like, you've, like, assumed that, like, it was, like, kind of, that was the power dynamic always, but, yeah. it, you know, it wasn't just because of, uh, yeah, when we kind of get uh, revealed of Helen's upbringing, too, and and it and I'm a sucker also for a relationship in movies where it's, like, the like i guess like i guess also like with like the you know maybe uh somewhat queer reading to this is like when you do have that person when it's just like like do i do i hate you or do i want to be you Mm -hmm. you know and like that kind of relationship always uh kind of can have that in a way um you know i i think of something like um i mean i'd say kind of jennifer's body in a way at least for jennifer's side of it um, you know, but then like, um, I don't know, like, um, other movies where again, it's like, it, it's like, oh no, like you, obviously like the hate that you're projecting isn't like yeah. the trueness of it. Is it yeah. like that? That is it supposed to be just like the, the radical opposite of it. But, but, yeah. um, but even still like just the, the campus X of it and the performances, and even if it isn't sexual that like really that's just like neither one of them need sex really they like yeah. really Ernest is like they he's a man and like you know pro, you know um fills the the role of you know husband provider all those things but like uh not even to a degree so who knows they could just be two asexual besties Word, uh living yes. and then you know living their eternal lives together yeah I, I'm I definitely am open to any of those readings and the just seeing the relationship of these characters who are all just like terrible people who hate one another just makes for like whatever the opposite of a love triangle is just like really fun just like it's just yeah. like a hate triangle <laughs> yeah that is very true yeah it's definitely not like a love triangle that anyone wants to be in yeah. but yet you know because of just uh, societal expectations um, I feel like that plays a big role into the themes here because this is uh, tapping into, you know, people's fear of mortality and they're uh, getting older and in their uh, and their bodies like kind of failing them. And uh, and and this kind of theme uh, felt very Cronenbergian to me. I feel like that's uh, kind of something that David Cronenberg is very concerned with, of you know, mm-hmm. being kind of trapped in a meat sack that you can't control, you know, and um uh Liesel has a line that's like really great when she like says like you know like oh we are we are teased and tempted with a just a taste of youth and vitality but then we are forced to watch our bodies decay 
um and like something the way that she describes that like in like um you know the body feeling again like kind of separate from the person like that you know it being this vessel uh in a way um i found very 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 fascinating Mm -hmm. i think there's also like kind of a stephen king angle to this as well i think of like the sort of like monkey's paw, like thinner kind of thing that we see of this person who's obsessed with vanity, who wants all of these things. And it's like the careful what you wish for yep. sort of uh, attitude. And I, I talked about it last week of social commentary being like can't be in a delivery system for social commentary and having sort of this sleight of hand trick of, you know, look over here at the zaniness and the loud costumes and even louder performances. But all the while you're telling like this more uh, interpersonal story or having some sort of societal, you know, commentary. And I think that this movie definitely has that as far as like youth and vanity and femininity and womanhood. And I love that this movie too in having these two older, older in like Hollywood age, you know, sure. actors like portraying the in, in these roles and just being shown as like hot, you know, like oh, both of these act, uh, actresses are like in their mid forties, which by Hollywood age, you're, you're, you know, practically one foot in the grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that this movie is like in the nineties, mind you, which also isn't the most like the, the best time no. for like how society views women and what beauty <laughs> means. The fact that you've got these like two women in like their mid forties who were just like, complete smoke shows throughout the whole movie is I thought was great they look so good they're in they're basically in drag too for most of the movie which I think brings some of the queerness as well because they're putting on this like youthful glow I mean they look amazing but they're like their hair's done they got the wigs they got the titties perked up they got the dress and oh my god they look so interesting I didn't really think about the the elixir as yeah kind of just a magic drag potion essentially because yeah it it you know puts them into the state that they prefer to be in like and what they want to look like and then it's like okay now you have that and you got to preserve that so yeah um, it kind of interesting, like think of it as like, yeah, like if you offered a, a drag queen to be like, okay, uh, pick your favorite look and yeah. we can, uh, make that permanent for you as long as you take care of yourself. Like that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. I, the reminds me of the maybe infamous shot of like the boob push up, yes. you know, <laughs> which is like, if you read like the behind the scenes of that, this movie is known for it's like pretty groundbreaking visual effects. And that was one like bit where they were trying to design this practical contraption that would like inflate and I believe it was just like a costume person was just like hiding off of camera they eventually just ended up just pushing her boobs up and because like the machine wasn't working at all and I just yeah I, I think of that scene as like a pretty good embodiment of what you guys were talking about yeah definitely and like uh yeah the the, the butt lift and uh, this was yeah. done this was uh, done by Industrial Light and Magic, and oh, yeah. they are the people that also did a lot of the stuff for Jurassic Park. So yeah, I feel yeah. like the, they kind of maybe saw some of the uh, CGI technology that they were using for this and were like, hey, maybe we can uh, use yeah. some of this, you know, uh, because uh, Zemeckis and Spielberg are famously uh, good friends yeah. and stuff and with the shared crew between the two mm-hmm. of them. So, yeah. If you guys want to know more about this production, there's a Disney Plus documentary called Light and Magic and they talk about like the company's inception, which like George Lucas started the company and mm. then going into the digital realm because they were an entirely practical company. And then this was this movie's place in that company's history was is kind of interesting because it's like the late 90s and it's like before Star Wars really kicks off again. So they're just kind of like, we'll just do these kind of weirdo movies. And this this was one of them to where it's like, nowadays, this would never have like the 
you know the attention to detail like like it did back then where there was such painstaking thought of like how are we going to make this look good and uh yeah it's on disney plus if you guys are uh, interested in watching it. a great doc and like their info about this movie is, is pretty interesting that sounds Ooh. cool yeah, yeah definitely have to check that out and 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 we kind of uh you know speaking more on like how the the societal expectations part and uh you know them you know achieving these these looks that they they want to have so mm-hmm. bad like uh, preserving this youth um i again found it interesting that this is you know written by two men directed by a man and it's taking on this subject of aging which everybody does you know have you know there's lots of people that have different uh issues with aging or fears of it but i've uh depicted in media and in general society it tends to be a <clears throat> Something more attributed that, you know, that women think of a little bit more, especially in the Hollywood landscape. Yeah. Uh, me and Mo, we've both been in L.A. for five years coming up. Uh, and you definitely and Garrett's been out here now for a bit, too. And there is like a weird thing that people have with age out here. That's oh. like if you're under 30, you're still a baby. But then as soon as you're over 40, then you're old. And then it's just like and yeah. people act like it's, you know, kind of the end of the world and like. Uh, and so this is very much, uh, you know, played up, you know, with the with the camp performances and the exaggeration of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, having Mo here, I want to get kind of a more feminine uh, lens on this on, um, you know, if this feels um, if this feels like kind of accurate to, you know, the, the Hollywood issues. I'm honored. I had to actually look up Zemeckis like sexuality because I was like this is so accurate to the female (laughs) experience um in terms of just like their friendship and then in terms of you know hitting what you said like that over 40 over the hill you know you're basically halfway in the grave and Hollywood's obsession Mm -hmm. with keeping you young and keeping you babyish um and I do think that this is the perfect setting for this movie because Beverly Hills is known for being like plastic surgery headquarters and also, there's, you know, rumors of cults and, you know, practices in Hollywood to keep you young, to keep you relevant, to you know, all these things to keep you famous. Yeah. Um, and I personally am a conspiracy theorist, so I think there's some truth in it. And yeah, I think, it's just Scientology. That's all it is. Well, that too, right? <laughs> I live. Oh, my gosh. I live next to the Scientology building. I know all about it. That and the, the haunted hotel that you're <laughs> that you're we were talking about. I'll, take the, haunted, I'll take the haunted hotel. What, what a combo <laughs> Yeah, over the Scientology building. But um. I think that it it just like it's the perfect place to blow it up because it is a campy scenario like people don't even believe it's real but there are absolutely groups of people who are trying to keep people famous keep people young Mm -hmm. keep people relevant and I think this movie just shows that so perfectly and at the end when you get the big party and you see how many people are there who Liesl has kept young or or her clients or whatever yeah and it's packed to the brim like it's overflowing with mm-hmm. these people who are in this secret very secret hush hush organization to keep themselves looking good mm-hmm. i mean and and again like this coming out in the 90s um you know Ernest's character it makes it uh, like you know today i mean yeah plastic surgery has almost become like more normalized now mm-hmm. and but at the time like this was like when plastic surgery was like still kind of divisive it was like you know hot and you know for the elite and stuff like that but people you know had different ideas about it and like mm-hmm. this was at a time when doctors were famous like you know like you know people knew who Ernest was because he was a famous plastic surgeon it's not really yeah. the case anymore these days like nobody's mm-hmm. like oh yes I know you I, I know you for your work like unless no. you're on TikTok because you do this and that or them yeah. yeah so it's like you're you're not really keeping up with that so so it's interesting that they they bring that in 
And uh, I mean, it's kind of touch on similar stuff from uh, the Neon Demon, you know, like the the girls from the Neon Demon, they would totally take the elixir in a heartbeat. Like, you know, like they it's like the crossover we need. <laughs> it really is. I mean, and um, and, you know, so and like you said, like people trying to find these like alternatives and stuff like somebody was telling me the other day that they're like. There's a conspiracy about like shaking babies and then taking like they're like like some sort of fluid yes, or something. Yes. And like I'm like, I really like that is even for me, I was like, that was a lot. Uh, it was just like, but again, like, yeah, like but like you said, like when you see the party and you see the amount of people that are uh, willing to do this. Also, I love some of like the like little yeah. sight gags with like Elvis. Elvis. Um, to, yeah, like I, I for a while I was like, yeah, Elvis totally faked his death. He's still alive. Like and like I love that he's one of them. Uh, there's a shot of a uh, James Dean. Yep, getting um, in the car. The, the the actor that they got to play James Dean like looked just like him. <laughs> like they shot him at the perfect angle and it looked just <laughs> like him. But um, but yeah, so like uh, I. That I like the the little uh, sight gags with like uh, the you know alluding to this kind of yeah like bigger bigger underground like you know with like there's there's a whole other movie like you said of like you know not only backstory with Helen and uh and uh, Madeline but like also this uh yeah the society the elixir and its origins and whatnot uh, uh what do we think about uh Liselle, uh just looking like one of the most sexiest people on the planet talk about drag that is drag right there that is extravaganza and that is drama and she just carries it like she was born to it's a bummer that she's not in more films because yeah yeah isabella rosalini uh, i I went through and she's she's not really in too much other things but then watching it back this time i was i did realize that like she is extremely campy and I was like, she fits perfect in this setting, but I can't imagine like what other because she's so otherworldly. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine like what other character she would play other than she. She kind of reminded me of uh, Julianne Moore's character in The Big Lebowski. Is like this like hyper feminine, like unknowable sort of enigmatic, like you know, L.A. woman that's like has like vagina sculptures all over her mm. apartment. It is like like this has this pride in her in her body and the costumes and the performance and where she lives and like the practicality of where she lives and all of these things it's just like it is just it's so over the top it's so camp and the the she's wearing a shirt that is mostly just like beads and jewels and stuff like that and it's just like it's it's preposterous it's the best she's swimming (laughs) she's swimming in like a silk shawl and high heels yeah it's it's so good and she gets out and her hair's already dry yeah incredible oh i mean and and we talked about before it's like you kind of have to have like a spectrum of camp performances whenever you're doing it because like everybody can't be on the same level you got I have you know variations so it's like you know uh, uh goldie and merrill they're kind of on similar levels and like the performances they're giving uh i would say bruce willis is like a few levels of camp above that you know who i clocked this watch too was in the plastic surgeon office when madeline first goes in and she's like help me i'm going to this book debut <laughs> the french receptionist or earth aesthetician mm-hmm. um she is so camp she's like oh i cannot do that for you today Miss Madeline, come back and see me. it's like the most like caricature depiction of a french person but yeah. it works yeah this movie has so many great sight gags and just memorable lines and mm. moments and like everybody's comedic timing too is just impeccable uh one of my favorites is like the the i now know is like the famous um flaccid scene or she's just like <laughs> yelling flaccid at him is just uh, it's, it's the best you don't really see helen mirren like doing a lot of comedy uh Meryl like Street. 
Helen, oh, what I, yeah, yeah, my apologies. Uh, like we get, we like, have uh, to make a distinction there. I, <laughs> okay, we, my after, apologies. After making our jokes about uh, not wanting to correct people, I gotta correct you. My apologies. Meryl, I hope I, is that the first time that I did no, it? That's the no, first that time. Okay, the thank first God. Okay. <laughs> um, Meryl Streep in like, uh, like there's some humor in like Mamma Mia and like The Devil Wears Prada, but mm-hmm. she's like full on like giving like a very, uh, comedic performance the the scene where she says you're a fraud Helen you're a walking lie and I can see right through you and yeah. like goes right and like yeah put like sees like the gaping hole in her chest it's it's so funny it's so good oh man there's I mean yeah because it's like Meryl she's like got like the quick lines like throughout like uh the like oh when you're 22 with your beautiful skin and tits like rocks <laughs> like she just like has these just like lines that just like come out so fast and you're just like wait what did you just say yeah um it, you know and then so it's like she's got that and then like Goldie Hawn is doing just like all the eye acting in oh. the world mm-hmm. with like like just like they're so big she's looking through you and like kind of like she's like in her own brain for half the movie yeah. like not even like it, like in like the it kind of the setting with anyone mm-hmm. so she's like kind of giving a uh, like the more weird campy performance yeah I wanted to get you guys uh, your your guys opinion on because like where we see Helen post this sort of you know uh, Ernest leaving her like she's in this like mental ward and she's gained a ton of weight and I wanted to know what you guys thought about that as far as like being like a problematic like does that match up to today's standards because I have an opinion that may be different or like maybe even a little controversial but I'm curious to see what you guys think I mean I mean I feel like they they bring it in and I mean just by the nature of the movie being campy, of course, it, like, kind of comes off, like, exaggerated and stuff. But, like, I also don't think that that portion is, like, I don't think they're trying to poke fun at either whether it be, like, the the um, the the psych ward angle of it. Um, because, like, I mean, the only problem that I have an issue with is, like, the one time, like, she, like, uh, she says Madeline's name and then, like, the other patients like start like screaming and hooping and hollering it's like Mm -hmm. okay that's not what you know these places are like all the time sure you know and she would not be in that place with those you know that's that's a different set of issues you know so it's like so that that's like kind of the only thing i take umbrage in for that um but um i mean i guess as far as yeah like i because i because i don't think that they are they're poking fun they do take like a moment to like legit be like hey like you know we're trying to you know you're doing these classes you're doing these sessions and nothing's helping and like they they, so they they, like do like take a moment to like be like no like it is a place they like center somewhere like she was like to get help rather than um you know them throwing her and locking her away yeah i don't know yeah, I, of course, like, cringed at the fat suit because I think today I, I, they wouldn't get away with that. Yeah. But because of the context of it being the 90s, it being this huge, like, practical effects movie and the theme of, you know, wanting your young 20-year-old body and showing that she's completely lost track of that, then that's become something that she's not going to want to lose even more. Mm-hmm, gives mm-hmm. it that much more stake to it. And I think you could have removed any element of her in her psychotic state in her like ton of cats and her house is a mess and she's in the fat suit and she doesn't take care of herself. And it still would have it would have been fine, but because it's the extreme, that's what makes it camp. Well, yeah. and, and it's for the movie too. Like, it's not like they have her in a fat suit just for the hell of it. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. this does pertain to the themes of you know imagery and things like that. And it's also not like they could have you know casted a bigger person sure. to and then have them to, lose weight or something. Yeah, yeah for you the know. rest of the movie versus yeah. okay, if we're we're gonna have uh, Goldie Hawn in a fat suit for a few scenes. 
that's yeah. fine. Like, yeah. you know, it's not like they are, you know, again, and it's like they, I mean, they're doing it to, again, like, just like perpetuate, like, you know, the, the state and like, you know, kind of the thing, but it's also like, again, like not, it doesn't feel like comedic. It just feels like, no, this yeah. is just like, I'm the place that she ends up in. And yeah. like, that's kind of, you know, where you can kind of see like where she would be motivated to, you know, seek out this elixir. Yeah. I mean, I felt like as far as like the, the facility is concerned, I felt like they were very intentionally trying to make like parallels with like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and trying to show that in in the, the weight too, that this is this character's rock bottom, like their definition of rock bottom that like they have gained all this weight, which is their worst case scenario because they have such like, keep in mind, these are the same people that are willing to be immortal (laughs) to look beautiful. Mm. So like gaining, I don't know, however much weight she gains, that's like inconceivable, like to show that this is the, the, the worst, you know, state of this character. And I felt like, yeah, the, 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 the facility was more for like comedic beats to show like how far gone that she really was that, you know, this man left her and now she's in the same place that like Jack Nicholson would have been in, in, in one flu. And even like you have like the nurse ratchet character that is like, you're too crazy for me. You know, <laughs> like I, I felt like a lot of it was, was for the humor, but I, I felt like, yeah, in the context of the movie, it's not necessarily necessarily the movie like saying that uh, you know being a heavier set person is you know your rock bottom or that you're a piece of shit i think it's this character feels that she is a piece of shit because of this because she is a a vain you know image obsessed person Mm -hmm. no exactly and 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 i'm curious too on i guess where with those themes the way that's played and again this uh coming from a uh a male perspective um of this you know, because this movie isn't, I mean, it's like, it, it, it is feminist, but it's also not like in a, in an odd way, because like, it's what it's doing is it's taking this camp to perpetuate a, an issue that, you know, that is, that was, and is still relevant in Hollywood today. And, you know, they're, they're exaggerating it so hard, but you're also, you know, you're, because they neither one of them learn a lesson yeah. by the end of this, you know, like um, it, it is still more like, OK, we're going to kind of show that they are willing to kill for these things. They're willing to manipulate. They're willing yeah. to go to all these extremes. And then there's kind of not really there's not really a catharsis in it. Um, but in the way that they do deliver it in such a dramatic fashion and being like, you know, like this just is a problem that really sucks. And like, and like, this is something that's just like, you know, some people don't, you know, get out of this trap. So like, in a way it's still kind of, it, it, cause obviously like this isn't like a, a positive uh, message for women, but it still feels feminist in a way that one, that both the leads are like, and the characters are so committed to the cause, mm-hmm. but also due to the fact that, um, that just that it, it's pr- mm. It's uh, I ha- I was there. I was almost there. Well, I'll take the it's I'll tricky. take the reins if 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 you want. But yeah, I I do feel like this is a pretty feminist movie, especially from like the '90s standards. Yeah. That to me, this is almost kind of like a cautionary tale for people who are resisting age and not seeing it as like a natural thing. And it's like, yeah, things are going to sag and droop as you get older. Wrinkles are going to happen, and of course, there is a real. Um, you know, concern of like taking care of your body and in preserving because this is this is all you have. But I felt like this movie is a real kind of satirization of the links that people go to to preserve 
you know, youth and how ultimately at the end of the day, those kind of things can only get you so far. So you're just going to be left with you and your relationships and like fostering those and, and uh, really being comfortable with yourself is a, is more important than trying to preserve this beauty. It's more come to grips and come to terms with your own standards of beauty and how you perceive yourself, which I feel like is a, certainly a feminist angle too, but also just like a people angle of like either gaining weight or what have you of, people just learning how to love themselves and love how they look you know to me that was maybe more of the kind of the feminist perspective that I kind of took away word I could see that Mm -hmm. I I I feel like it's a feminist film but then you look at it and you're like okay well the women lose in the end I mean they get what they want but they lose and the man is the one who ends up with getting his life that he wanted and beautiful wife and kids to carry on his legacy, which is what they really want. So it's tricky because typically like when you think feminist film, you think, Oh, there's a final girl. There's like a revenge arc, but there's none of that in this one. And Mm -hmm. the women at the end are like these disgusting monsters. Mm -hmm. Um, But then like throughout the movie, I'm still rooting for them. And I'm like, yeah, go on, get your body, go on, get your man, like be there for your friend, which does not happen. It definitely isn't representing like healthy female friendships um but it's making fun of them in a way that makes us aware that that's the problem sure. it's like you know mm-hmm. i think i think what i was trying to get at was that it it the, with the again presenting this in a such a camp fashion rather than being a you know true body horror that it really would be and if mm-hmm. they went in that darker realm then it would feel very uh it wouldn't have that feeling but it but i get the uh the the kind of feminist feeling of it being like hey, this is a thing that everyone's thinking of and it's okay to have these fears, but like, let's also like poke fun at it. And sure. I guess only because it's a, a man directing it, it almost kind of feels like it's going, well, don't you guys sound silly when you're complaining about your age? And sure. it's just like, well, no, because then I, I know I say that because I say that all the time. Like I know that, uh, you know, people do have, you know, uh, you know, very strong feelings about aging and things like that. And like, and I don't, I'm just like, I, like I old is old, but then like once, like, like the only time that I agreed with Ernest ever in this movie is, uh, whenever they're trying to tempt him. And then he is just like, and she's like, you know, she gives the exact same speech that she gave to the women, you know, and they fell for it and they take the elixir gives Ernest the exact same speech. And he just goes, well, no, that sounds awful. He goes, yeah. he goes, what if I get bored? Yep. He goes, what if I get lonely? And like, that's me. Like, I'm just like, yo, if I haven't done everything I want to do by 75, like I'm good. Like I don't, yeah. I won't, I don't want to live Pat. Like, so I would like very much never want to be immortal. Um, so sure. I guess it, uh, so I guess that's kind of where I'm going from where it's just like, oh yeah, like it, it's okay to still have these fears, but it's also not portrayed in like the, uh, uh, it's not portrayed in a way that's like, oh yeah, you need to fear this as a woman. No. Yeah, and, I mean, and I also don't think it's like propping up uh, Ernest's character to be like De- well, some exactly. cool guy Definitely either. Not. Like he's like this fucking Magoo dork throughout the entire <laughs> movie who's it. just like and pushing up his glasses the whole time, you know, and bumbling around and just saying like, oh dear, or, or oh, boy. Oh, oh boy, the whole movie, oh, you know. So I think even he is not meant to be shown as like this cool macho man. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely. Uh, a concern to have when you have uh, especially you know uh, nowadays where I think just society's a, a bit more it's a bit more important to have people who these stories are you know, uh, representing to tell those stories. I think that that's something that we have a, a bit more care into these days. Um, but I, I, I think that with with this, 
I think Zemeckis ha- doesn't take as much of like a finger waggy approach towards women and saying like how silly they are. I think it's more of like just society or Hollywood specifically yes. of like how we view these. Oh, they're 40. They're dead practically like, oh, we can't cast them in anything anymore because uh, obviously they're hideous monsters. You know, to me, it was more of him poking fun at society rather yes. than, uh, oh, ladies, aren't you aren't you silly? Oh, no. And, and that's where I feel like that is the ultimate again, like why Bruce Willis is so important for this movie because the fact that he's willing to like let to to play this character in you know especially oh, yeah. with like the uh, post John McClane yeah sort of you know yeah. so like for so you know it's key for him to buy into it but then also because like yeah he's supposed to be this you know quote unquote cool surgeon yeah um you know that's super famous and stuff but he is like just the most bumbling fool uh, oh, yeah. he's like sniveling the whole time he's like <laughs> he does this like swing with his voice like yeah. he's like breaking <laughs> it intentionally like all the time and. Um, and again, it's like, yeah, to kind of flip, you know, this movie flips masculinity uh, in certain ways, not only with his character, but then also with Lisa, because like whenever she's like, you know, again, like what part of her like performance for me is like she like postures herself like a man. That's what I was like, going to say. Like, she like puffs her chest out and the way daddy. she the way that she. Yeah, she's daddy in these. Uh, she has just these buff men that she's ordering mm-hmm. around her oh, yeah. house. And, like, <laughs> and that's the reason she's able to you know keep her appearance because she just stays locked away in a house and, you know, commands a bunch of dudes to do her <laughs> things for her. And like that's fucking. And so like even so having them two in a scene together was like super hilarious because they are both like inverses of you know kind of traditional um you know masculine roles yeah and 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 bruce willis again also has some of uh some of the funnier lines too like uh, i really love whenever um they're at the hospital and uh and he's like where's madeline they're like the morgue and he's like the morgue she'll hate that she's gonna be so furious it's so good it's the best yeah i bruce willis i uh, uh, wish the best for him and all of his, uh, I know he's got a pretty rough go at things right now with, with health concerns and all of that. But uh, yeah, this time in Bruce Willis's career, uh, he was like a legit A-lister, like one of the most like sought after actors in Hollywood. And I love that we have, you know, performances uh, like this. And he, you know, was on uh, TV for a long time, obviously. And he's known for being, you know, the action guy. Yep. But I, he's got it, man, with this. He's got like... Uh, I think Bruce Willis's talent is is really um, kind of underrated, uh, especially in like a more kind of modern era. But, you know, he was for a long time there was giving like just legitimately great performances all over the board too, like super dramatic stuff, fun, charismatic action stuff, and then just like really great comedy, too. So uh, he definitely deserves his flowers for this, for sure. Yeah, he earned my respect with this one for real. Yeah, and and so let's talk about um, getting uh, past the performances a little bit. We uh, kind of touched a little bit on an uh, industrial light and magic and uh, their effect works mm-hmm. here and uh, with uh, the the various uh, body horse shenanigans that we get with again like uh, the these women are just like kind of practically like mannequins uh, after they are transformed for yeah. like the rest of the movie. And uh, so, as I want to talk about uh, some of your guys' favorites of uh, the 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 body effects going on here. Yeah, Zemeckis is a filmmaker that's always really embraced that, especially uh, for better or worse. Like in recent years, he really is like that seems almost like the selling point for him is like what new technology or, you know, visual effects can I implement in this movie now? And I I think this is an example, uh, as is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, to where it really feels like 
you have this great story to tell and the visual effects uh, and the technology innovations are like a vehicle that you can't tell the story any other way. And I think a lot of times nowadays that angle is kind of missing, but I digress. Like ILM and the work that they do in this is, is really, really well done. There's so many fun kind of, it's, it's almost like the dial is turned up a little bit more from something like The Mask or even mm. Who Framed Roger Rabbit to mm-hmm. where it's so cartoony, but it's able to be like the body horror angle is something that like, you know, like it like in The Mask where he like turns into like the wolf and his eyes mm-hmm. bug out. Like it would be that much more kind of gruesome or intense in, in this to where it's like, okay, you do that crazy cartoony sort of motion and you're stuck like that now. Or like they shatter into a million pieces pretty much at the end of this movie and it's like them putting themselves back together. So I think kind of the the humor of that really drives the visual effects. And there's so many just really memorable moments of them just beating the shit out of each other with shovels and having like a pretty much like a sword fight with shovels and like, you know, uh, just beating the hell out of each other. It's, it's so good. My favorite moments are all centered around Madeline's neck. Like anytime, Mm -hmm. the first thing when she gets up from the stairs, her head's on backwards. And you think about like watching that in theaters, um, having not really seen that much like blending of CGI and practical effects and seeing like, her head talking as it's like twisted upside down backwards Mm -hmm. and you can see the bones and it's just still Meryl's face like talking (laughs) being pissed and then uh, later when she gets hit in the uh, head with the shovel her like oh my head her neck disappears and it's like a stack of skin that she's just looking up through and she has to stretch it up The, the um, comedic timing of that moment specifically is really good because you see like the back of her head get like bonked in and then it cuts to her like all, you know, all shoulders. And it's it's so funny. Or when it gets like totally knocked backwards oh, and, yeah. and she starts choking because her windpipe is crushed, but yeah. she like has to like yeah. crank herself back. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. There's so many running gags of her and her neck and her head like that uh, uh, Goldie Hawn's character just keeps like that's the thing she keeps going for. It's almost like a weakness for her. It's, mm-hmm. it's fucking hilarious oh yeah like and because that is like kind of yeah the, like one of the first like big ones that we see i, re- I absolutely love uh the the fall down the stairs oh so good uh it's so good um i don't know about you guys that's uh when you talk about a uh, childhood fears that you thought you were gonna have to worry about when you're older uh nobody really dies from falling down the stairs these days unless mm-hmm. you're like 95 or something sure um but in movies that happen so often that yeah. that was like in my mind as a kid i was just like oh man falling down the stairs is just like <laughs> so dangerous the worst thing <laughs> not, to mention, uh, <laughs> not yeah. to mention that this particular falling down the stairs goes on for like a full minute oh man we her just tumbling i was like they really worked that stunt yeah. actor oh yeah they they worked them and then like the the like just like them like kind of like in a pile uh the laying there but then like the first time we're introduced like i like the way that they do is like uh they introduce it when uh Ernest is on the phone uh you know calling um calling helen and you see uh madeline in the background and you can see that she's walking funny yeah. as her like she's like kind of putting her body back and then you can see that her head is backwards yeah. but we can't see it just yet you know yeah and then so that way when it like reveals like kind of what's going on and you have a practical uh practical stunt worker and then they like cgi like the like shoulders and face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like onto the back of them yeah and i mean yeah of course it's the early 90s in some of those shots you can kind of see it a little bit but then again like you said like with the the cartoon appeal yes. of yeah. this 
you can forgive. Yeah, you can definitely get away with it. So. Yeah, I, I think from like a modern lens, no, these aren't like photo real effects. But yeah, just like yeah, I had you know, mentioned earlier, something like the mask, when you do have these cartoony effects, it really, you're able to get away with so much more because it's not trying to get these photorealistic, you're, you're, that piece of your brain with the uncanny valley isn't like firing off because yeah. it looks like a fucking looney tunes episode and uh shout out gabriel too from malignant like that's like to say it's like i was about to say i was like some I was, parallels there <laughs> gabriel makes like the walking backwards look easy because mm-hmm. like i love that uh madeline is like tripping all over the place because yeah. she's my like ass, all discombobulated yes. <laughs> so funny because that's something you don't really think about you're like oh yeah i, I have never actually looked at my ass like with my own eyes you know <laughs> It's yeah. like you only see it in mirrors, so it's like that was super funny. Um, and speaking of references with uh with uh Helen later on, like I mean, obviously like the stomach is cool, but like she um something's like wrong with her eyes, and they have her give her like zombie eyes. Yeah, and uh, even with her zombie eyes, I was like still would. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> and she was giving me she was giving me vibes of uh maggot mommy and Evil Dead Rise. Yes. Oh, there you go. Like there kind of go. a little bit, like yeah. because uh you know Goldie Hawn kind of has like the the reddish auburn hair and like the way that it's like down wet and like mm-hmm. I was like I was kind of seeing it a little bit. So I don't know, yeah. you know, Malignant and uh, Evil Dead Rise might have been taking some inspo here. See, that's what I'm saying with like the the tone of this movie just being pitch perfect is because like in a in a in a different movie th- this imagery is horrifying. Yes. but this movie takes such a cartoon like fun sort of approach to it that you have these things that are you know somebody's like the back of their head is touching their spine you yeah. know it, it's like it's disgusting but uh s- this movie is just so funny and in in camp you know and so over the top that uh, a lot of these kind of moments instead of just becoming grotesque it becomes hilarious Ernest Ernest's uh line whenever she's like what's happening with me and he goes it's a dislocated neck. <laughs> I've <laughs> never seen like, it before. Yeah. I've never seen it before, but it can happen. It was just one of the funniest shit ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole doctor's office scene is is just gold. It's gold. Oh yeah, yeah. The doctor is uh, you know, trying to trying to make sense of it. And but I like that, you know, um, you know, we kinda you know, because I guess by the way, again, by the way that this elixir works, it like the the body the, it rejuvenates them like the once, and then after that it doesn't heal anymore. Yeah. So it's just like it's you know not gonna age, but it's also not gonna like heal itself since it's not alive. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I guess that's how it uh it works in a way, and um and so like you know you have to like kind of take care of yourself or whatever. I really loved um the at the beginning whenever she gets referred to. Uh, Liesel, the the spa owner, you see him fucking with his eye, and that's what the giveaway that he's one of them mm-hmm. that uh, he's been in it that like he like you know must have like done something like yeah. he's like still dealing with that. Which so I think like, just, little details like that are cool. The humor of that too just kind of goes back on kind of the the message of this movie, right? Because you're saying that like okay, you took this elixir, now you really have to take care of yourself. You know, like a person, like everybody needs to like take care of themselves and like take the best care of their body because that's the one that you got. Not, you yeah. know and so that is kind of like you shouldn't need the extra incentive yeah their, their worst fear is like aging and their body like you know uh just going on and, and dying as as we all do but now their bodies don't heal at all you know versus like a normal person you're some of those some uh, of those things you would heal over time so it's like it's almost kind of worse their bodies are almost kind of you know worse than the, what they would have been so it's yeah it's the the kind of the monkey's paw you know yeah. uh, careful what you wish for 
Yeah, and uh, and you know, and we do get to get you know some more stuff as well uh, with them. I I just love this uh this you know taking the frenemies to the extreme in a way that like I mean they these are two women just literally trying to openly kill each other at yeah. this point. You know they are kind of past this like point no return. <laughs> um, and so for me it did uh, one one uh, criticism I do have of this film is that I feel like. They uh, did kind of resolve to being the friends maybe a little too quickly, Mm -hmm. even though I guess it's maybe since it's because this is kind of how they've always felt like they have, you know, had, you know, genuine care for each other. Like it's not like the pure hate that, you know, we think it is, even though, again, they do want to murder each other. So it's like it is kind of tough for me in that way. And and there's and there's not and there's a little too much earnest in the third act, too. Like they the girls kind of disappear for a little bit when they get to Lee Sells. That's fair. Yeah, I think for me, I love that they are just like reluctant friends and that they still hate each other. But it's it's kind of what Ernest was talking about is like you're going to see everybody, you know, die while you're still here. So I love that they kind of avoid those those are relationships and are just they have each other because that's all they have, you know, like who else is going to be able to understand what, you know, what you're going through other than this person who's also going through it, you know? Exactly. And they're sworn to secrecy. Yeah. And just like he says, he's like, am I going to just hang out with Madeline and Helen? And that's what ultimately helps him make the decision that he, that's not the path he's yeah. choosing. Amazing. Um, yeah. And then they just get to be besties in, <laughs> in undead together. Yeah. They're besties undead together. And then uh, they, in, in earnest, you know, he it sucks that he gets a happy ending, but I like that they do it to again, like it's to exaggerate the yes. the point of everything. There's like, oh yeah, like he really kicked off his life after he was fifty Hilarious. and like he did all these things. Like he had six kids, he was like traveling, made this foundation, yep. like did like so like the way that they like made it to be like, oh, like he had just the ultimate life afterwards. Yeah. Uh, kinda uh makes it uh it worth at least again for the the tone of it because like yeah. you don't want him to have the happy ending and the girls to you know kind of be doing it but for the exaggeration yeah. of it and to you know double down on the message of the movie uh works out mm-hmm. yeah so um i think um it, we can go ahead and start wrapping into our final thoughts here on death becomes her uh we'll give it out a we're gonna do it out of five elixirs Five elixirs, um, which uh, five staircases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Five, we'll we'll go with the elixir vials, which again, like uh, one one camp element I forgot to shout with uh, the elixir vial. Um, uh, so campy that the reveal of it is it's a vial in a case, like in this like uh, egg shaped like case. Like a Faberge egg. Yeah, yeah. In a box, in another box, guarded by a knife. <laughs> guarded, like, by yeah. guarded by men. Yeah. Guarded by, yeah, buff men. Yeah, and um, sworn to secrecy. <laughs> and sworn to secrecy. Yeah, so like the even the vial itself is campy, so which great. I, and I the, found really funny. The way she stabs their fingers in both times, Madeline and Ernest are both like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, and then after they drink it, she's like, okay, and now the warning. She says, now the warning? Yeah. yeah. So, so good, yeah. All right, well, Mo, what are you giving this out of, uh, out of five vials in your final thoughts? Am I allowed to do half vials? Oh, of course. Sure. I will yeah. do a four and a half vials. I really love this movie. I think it's in my probably top 20 movies. Um, but like we were talking about, I think like the lacking in more feminist empowerment. I understand the time. I, I res- appreciate it and respect it. That would just push it over the edge for me. Um, mm-hmm. Or just some more queerness like we were talking about. Like if there was like a hot, sexy scene between the two ladies, 
I would eat it up. But Damn. see, I would have believed their reconciliation if it was because they fucked. Yeah. Then I would have believed it. <laughs> For me, uh, this is one of those rare movies, and it hasn't happened in a while, that it just became like an immediate favorite. Like mm. this was just like I, I was so surprised and mad at myself that it took me this long to watch this movie. Uh, I fell in love with this. I thought it was completely hilarious. Like, so camp. I think the tone is pitch perfect. I think all the performances are, like, honestly, some of my best from some of these actors yep. in this. Uh, I, this is, like, immediately, like, one of my favorite 90s movies, one of my favorite horror comedies. Uh, I can't wait to watch it again. I'm Like, I'm not joking. I immediately i think the movie wasn't even over i put it like on my amazon like cart and like okay i'm gonna buy this like immediately so for me this is like a rare five out of five for wow. me. i think there are some issues that uh like definitely could talk about it's not a perfect movie i don't think a five out of five even has to be a perfect movie Mm-mm. but i think that there's nothing about this movie that takes away from my enjoyment oh, uh, like everything is like as good as it like needs to be or good, as good as it should be. And I even think with like mm-hmm. some of the feminist angles that you guys are talking about, I think it definitely does has, has like uh, an empowering stance towards it. It might just not be up to today's standards, but I think for the nineties, it's, yeah. it's certainly pretty good. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause I really didn't know that this was going to be your first time watch, but it totally makes sense. Cause I know mm-hmm. like, uh, especially your Finney for movies like uh reanimator or uh, Beetlejuice, like kind of having this. Oh, uh, so I, I know that I know your tone now yeah. uh, for sure between this, uh, be becoming a new favorite for you. Uh, this one, um, I'm going four out of five, um, because something about the third act just like, isn't very satisfying when they mm-hmm. like get to Lisa and the party and stuff like, I don't know something it, it just need to be different. Sure. It, it just, uh, it, because like the showdown at the house was so fun yeah. and like hilarious and like really great. And like, and so then to follow it up after that, I don't know. Yeah. It just, uh, just doesn't work for me quite yeah. as well. So like, that's really the main thing that doesn't work for me. But I mean, this movie is so funny. Like, so I mean, I wrote down like so many just like funny lines. Mm. like because the dialogue is just like really pitch perfect the sight gags um, I didn't even like uh, the the floating nuns in the hospital. Yes. What was that about? You so know, good. like I there's so <laughs> there's so many just random sight gags. There, I absolutely yeah. love. There's a really good one where like uh, Willis is about to go into some like important uh, procedure and he's putting on gloves and the guy that he's with <laughs> is like explaining the severity and he throws him away and grabs bigger gloves. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like it's so fucking good. It's so good. Oh yeah, the the sight gags and the editing as well. Um, the one where um, you know, Helen at the very beginning is like talking about, oh, uh, you know, I need to see if you can pass the Madeline test. So you know, please tell me you're not yeah. gonna you're not gonna fall for you're not gonna do this to me. All these things. He's like, I'm not gonna marry Madeline. So good, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So so there there's camp all over the place. Oh. Uh, you know, for this film. So uh, again, this was uh the reason why I picked it for for this month. Uh, so yeah, four out of five for me. And uh, but let's see what other movies we're thinking about while we were talking about Death Becomes Her. Alrighty, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we like to conclude all of our episodes by playing a game called Movie Math. Uh, we have a guest today who seems to be aware of the rules. You're a, you're a, a, a practically a veteran around here, so I don't think I need to explain it to you. Uh, so what's in your equation? Okay, so this is what I've got. The Witches of Eastwick plus <laughs> The Craft. I know there's no like actual witchcraft happening here, but mm-hmm. very similar vibes, right? To the power of Jennifer's body. Nice. We saw it as a double feature, and I think it worked really well together. Oh, hell yeah. Um, 
finally divided by bedazzled okay which one hear me out oh 2000 i thought you said beguiled the remake oh. <laughs> um specifically just movie. because i love that movie nobody talks about it enough you're making a deal with a sexy devil yeah. who's going to promise you everything you wish for and time after time you see that that is not the reality that you signed up for um and it, i think that that's an extremely campy movie as well yeah. uh i uh, not to disappoint you guys and our gay listeners are going to be very upset with me but i've not seen uh witches of eastwick the craft <gasps> or but uh Bedazzled either. I know it's like those are like that's a bad. Uh, Damn. Uh, you, know. you gotta watch the craft. You're, I know. I, I know. Mean, I you're know. missing out. But the, the craft is one of my most glaring like horror blind spots for me. I need to watch it. I, would, um, I was gonna say like parentheses Beetlejuice, but you had already mentioned it, and I yeah. think there's not enough like overarching things for me. But it's you know they could they could go together. Yeah, for sure. I'm man. I mean, I love Bedazzled so much. Oh my god. I'm, I'm so like glad. kind of upset now that I didn't pick it for this month. <laughs> I might have to work it in uh, a, in a future date because I fucking no, love that movie. No, bring me back for that because that so is... much. We're gonna be doing the Hitchcock month, and you're like bedazzled. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? And you're like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, well, I'll, I'll go into mine because we do share one movie in our equations, which is uh, which is of Eastwick. Uh, that is uh, George Miller, uh, Jack Nicholson playing uh, one of my favorite versions of the devil, but uh, just a, very much in the tone, uh, in the kind of like kind of the same like it, it, a dark comedy, but still whimsical. Mm-hmm. Um, except that movie is sexy and it yes. does fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, it definitely does uh, have a few of the things uh, similar tone, uh, but yet different enough. Uh, and I have that multiplied by Reanimator for. Um, actually, I'm gonna divide it by Reanimator. That would make more sense because uh, it's still kind of going with, um, you know, this, uh, you know, extending life uh, in certain ways. Uh, the different takes on zombies. Because again, when we uh, did Reanimator, we kind of talked a lot about how it's not really talked about in the zombie canon, mm-hmm. though it totally is a zombie movie. Um, you know, so, uh, so some similar things, so I'll divide it since it's like kind of a, a inverse of like him trying to bring back to life versus this movie trying to extend it. Yeah. Um, but you know, still, still, uh, similar ish. Um, and I have those in parentheses raised to the power of, uh, the dark shadows TV show Whoa, just because, yes! uh, because there is a little Easter egg, uh, in the movie. Um, it's, a, a, a like VHS box sitting on top of Helen's TV, uh, of it and I definitely feel like uh the the tone is definitely there for for this movie um but it's a TV show, so I'm gonna raise it to the power. So that's what I got. I think all of the movies in our equations sound like a vibe, you know, yeah. it's just like a, a hell of a vibe, uh, if I do say so myself. <laughs> uh, for me, I have in parentheses, I have a Arsenic and Old Lace, which is okay. a 1944 Cary Grant film. Um, it's uh, it's a screwball comedy through and through, but there's a lot of like. Uh, like kind of macabre, like death and corpses. It's like a very Halloween sort of movie, and it makes it, it has a lot of uh, like horror imagery that it is also like a horror comedy about these like newlyweds who kind of uncover this uh, this plot happening. Uh, so I, I I have that because I think that this movie definitely does have some nostalgic like screwball comedy uh, sort of uh, leanings. I have that multiplied by Double Indemnity. Uh, which is also an older film, uh, but that's about that's a noir film about this couple plotting to kill someone so they can get like insurance money. So there's definitely some like love mm-hmm. triangle plotting happening here as well, which I think is an uh, important part of the equation. Mm-hmm. All of that in parentheses multiplied by Little Shop of Horrors, uh, yeah. uh, because I think that this 
like there's like obvious things like Seymour being also this kind of like Magoo sort of nerd oh, uh, yeah. uh, like that. And then I think also just like the campiness of this movie, I think is in line with this. It's just not a musical, but I think, I think mm-hmm. of like Steve Martin in that too. Like, I think there's so many over the top camp performances in that, that, you know, you have the screwball comedy, the noir, you just need a little bit of a little pizzazz in the equation. So yeah, that's what I got. Steve Martin in Little Shop of Horrors is definitely one of my favorite camp performances. So good. It's so he is so ridiculous and um and uh and I meant to mention when you had uh, mentioned the noir stuff, I feel like honestly one of the campiest scenes in this movie is um when um Helen is explaining to Ernest the the proposed uh murder mm-hmm. of yeah. uh, Madeline and like the the imagery of it and like they're like pictured in outfits like looking cool while they're like committing oh, yeah. this crime exactly, and like yeah. explaining the steps out like so perfectly and stuff like I feel like that is like uh, uh the epitome of the the camp tone of this film uh yeah so I can uh yeah all these movies uh definitely uh have the the same kind of weird uh dark whimsical flavor that this movie is serving up yeah uh so was uh very excited to talk about it today uh so excited in fact that we were uh you know so excited to get into the conversation I didn't get to ask Mo uh the guest questions that supposed to be at the beginning <laughs> of the show but you know oh, me no. you know me I mix segments are up around here sometimes uh so what are some of your favorite subgenres of horror okay that's why I had to ask I was like you're talking about subgenres for this movie mm-hmm. um some of my favorite like I said, haunted doll. Anything haunted doll. Megan Mathrigan, as I heard Garrett call it Hell recently, yeah. um, <laughs> has become a recent fave. Um, I love um, the. Oh is Mathrigan camp? Oh, 100%. Okay, totally I'm glad people are in uh, agreement. Totally yeah, cool, 100%. Cool. I love the Conjuring movie, so that's another haunted doll. Um, and then I just love any supernatural uh, possession I'm big on. Um, and queer, of course. Hell yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, on Haunted Doll, the boy. The boy, uh, yeah. Even though the first the boy is not Haunted Doll, and then they make it a Haunted Doll, but the first the boy is uh fucking lit oh, you wolf. think it's a haunted doll though so you do think it's they a got you doll. shout out brahms one time shout yeah. out brahms <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love uh, him brahms uh somehow a queer icon as well <laughs> yeah in, in my all the haunted dolls are queer icons it's a it's yeah. a rule actually actually i do uh i i do subscribe to that annabelle yeah hello and, uh, and, and speaking of a lot of chucky uh, stuff too chucky. Uh, sure. yeah and uh, and speaking of um you know because this is pride month and stuff so i was curious if there had been any horror movies that you would kind of seen yourself in whether that be from like a like identity oh. realm or a gender realm or something like that or even just a character well um in terms of seeing myself i would say like the craft comes to mind um, feeling like an outcast and feeling like you want to have this like strong sisterly connection and you want to take control of your life. Um, so I definitely see this. And then like being surrounded by beautiful women. All my friends are so hot and I'm low-key in love with all of them. Can't confirm. All um, of our friends are very hot. It's true. It's it's true. We got a hottie squad. Um, like all cheerleaders die. I heard you guys talking about that last week. Um, that's one, of course. And uh, Jennifer's body too. I see myself in both characters in Jennifer's body, um, but I don't. I haven't seen as like some of the most iconic WLW horror movies. Like um, whenever I was googling, there was one that kept coming up. I can't remember, but um, I was like, oh shoot! I guess I gotta watch that one because it said there was a queer love scene. Mm-hmm. What? 
Yeah. That's crazy. That's uh, two episodes in a row. All cheerleaders die shouted out. That's two episodes back to back. So I guess we really need to watch this movie. We need to add it to the uh, to the rotation for sure. But uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Oh, it my gosh. Thank pleasure. you for having me. Yeah, it's so been a pleasure. Yeah, of course. Uh, so where can the people find you on social media? Where are you working on? So if you're into Dungeons and Dragons, anime, cosplay, that kind of, you know, gay nerd shit, uh, you can find me on TikTok at Going Momo. And you can catch me in the upcoming D&D youtube actual play series off branded later this year um and you can find off branded at off branded dnd on tiktok and youtube woot woot. i mean i definitely feel like we have uh, some some dnd crossover uh interests around here <laughs> I um so. and i still need to have you uh, come sit in garrett just so I, you can I, observe because i feel like i know nothing i come literally play. yeah garrett, I know garrett doesn't know anything but about i feel Dungeons like dragons i feel like uh you you might dig the vibe i would either be really into it or fucking hate it there's no yeah. in between yeah because, <laughs> knowing yeah. me i'd be like this is he way too complicated i'm going home <laughs> yeah he doesn't like a bunch of rules so oh. so it'd be interesting yeah. i typically <laughs> run like a spooky halloween horror october yeah. guys so if you want to come play you're welcome oh, yeah, at our table that'd be great yeah do like a join us for a one of the one show. i'm yeah. one of, i'm one of those people that like i'll go to a friend's house and they're like let's let's play a board game and i'm like an uno guy and they bring out like let's play risk and it's going to be <laughs> 10 hours long and there's so much like explaining that has to be done and they get past like the first page of notes and i'm like mm, you know, nah, so. <laughs> the thing with D is you just got to go for it and just yeah. try whatever you feel i would love to be uh, a, a part of uh, some what do you got a crew, a squad, a, a team. A party. <laughs> it's a party. Yeah, a squad. A squad. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we are. We're the Lone Wolf Pack. That is our. Oh. That's uh, the name of our party. So that's very because uh, we're makes a no pack. Sense. Of, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a pack of a bunch of singular wolves, Hell but we yeah. are not a pack. Hell yeah! Cool. cool. <laughs> Garrett goes. Yeah. That sounds really cool. It's though. really <laughs> It's the best. Uh, what are you working on, Garrett? Oh, you guys uh, can follow me over on uh, Letterboxd and Twitter and TikTok uh, at Garrett McDowell. Uh, and if you want some more podcast goodness, uh, you can subscribe to my other podcast, uh, Scum and Villainy. Lots of uh, new and exciting things happening on over there. So we'd love to have you. And we always have links to all these things down in the description below. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Daddy Disco as well as Letterboxd. Uh, you can hear me over on uh, the Pod and Pendulum podcast, uh, recently shitting on the Hell House LLC movies. Um, the third one is Hot Garbage Trash, <laughs> uh, so you can go listen to that uh, for sure. Um, and then we're also doing a month on John Carpenter for june and uh so we just did escape from new york so you can hear me on that episode but now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the specter cinema club new episodes drop every tuesday subscribe to not miss a thing you can follow us on social media at specter cinema on twitter instagram and tiktok and if you're listening on spotify or apple Podcasts, leave us five stars a nice little review we appreciate you but until next time guys stay lifted